after some point, after the, the, the 100th no, after you've done this, after you went through this kind of, of experience of the constant no, you become so much stronger. All right, everybody, welcome back to Founder Vision. Today I'm speaking with Xavier Moretti. He's the co-founder and CEO of Koala, teachwithkoala.com. Uh, they've built what is basically Zoom for classrooms in the Unity game engine uh, in sort of a 3D kind of play environment. And uh, we're going to find out more right now. How are you doing today, Xavier? I'm good, Brett. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So tell me, tell me a little bit about what Koala is and what you're doing over there. Yeah, so um, it's a pretty visual product, so, but I'll try to describe it. Koala looks a lot like Minecraft. Um, and we built it because we think that Zoom was built for enterprise. It's not the right product for children. So Koala is mm -hmm. the alternative. Okay. Uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about how you've taken that, uh, like taken that enterprise element out and get, made it for kids. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think my co-founder and I were were uh, were both ex gamers, and um, and we actually still game uh, sometimes over the weekend. Um, and we've always seen a lot of value in the, the virtues of uh, using gaming to engage and to learn, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so we were strong believers in that. And um, I mean, I think that's something that COVID made pretty clear to parents, teachers, and, and to everyone in the world is that it's really hard to engage an eight-year-old on a Zoom session with 30 other kids for an hour, right? And right. And that this it just doesn't work. But those kids have no problem being focused on Animal Crossing, Fortnite, Minecraft or Roblox for 3 hours straight, right? So what's the difference? What's the fundamental difference? Is it because one is entertaining and the other is about learning or is it because of the medium? So our thesis is that it's about the medium and we think that we can build a tool that looks like a video game but that is actually meant for teaching and learning hmm so yeah i i heard that you did over 250 pitches to raise your first seed money tell me more about that that's right um yeah and i don't know <laughs> i don't know if it's really unusual for for startups um for first startups, you know, when you're a founder, and I think a lot of a lot of people in your audience are founders, and it's your first startup, you're nobody, right? And to be honest, I was I was not even working in the same space before, so my founder, my co-founder, and I had no credibility in this space. And um, you know, in the early stage of a startup, you find a problem, and then you find you try to solve it with the first version of a pro of a product, and then you figure out that you realize that there's a lot of things missing and then the market is not big enough or there's too much friction or you went in the wrong direction. So it takes several months and usually years to kind of um, 
figure out the right direction through this iterative process. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, we had no credibility and we were in that process of iterating uh, on the product. So um, for obvious reasons, it's, it, it took me many, many pitches to, um, to close our first round of funding. And we actually just, so we started a company about two years ago. Uh, we mm -hmm. didn't try to raise money from the very beginning, but I only just closed our first round of pre-seed a couple of months back. And now, you know, we're on better tracks and we, we have uh, very credible investors in the cap table, but it definitely didn't happen overnight. Wow. Yeah. How did you keep things going without the seed money for almost two years? Um, so, I mean, year one, year one, I slept on, so I, I live in San Francisco, right? And, and I think people know that, that rent in San Francisco are not cheap. And I think you're originally from that, re that area as well. Um, uh, so when you have no income, living in San Francisco is super expensive. So I very simply right. went to sleep on my friend's couches. So for about a year, um, I was sleeping, you know, in the, my, my friend's spare rooms and, and, uh, and that's how we were, you know, reducing burn as much as possible, um, to run the company. Yeah. Wow. So it was, it was you and how many others? So it's, it was me and my co-founder, Ben, who, uh, I met at Apple. So we're both. French-American. He's a, he's been a really good friend of mine for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. We met in 2011 at Apple. And um, what ignited our desire to start a company, I mean, at least as far as, as I'm concerned, it was not an urge to solve a specific problem. It was an urge to start a company with Ben because mm. he's a great friend of mine. He's a fantastic programmer, maybe the best programmer I know. He can, this guy can do anything. He's the type of kid who, you know, coded video games in his basement when he was 13 years old. Um, and uh, so I thought, you know, we really had very complementary, complementary skill sets. And he's also a really, a person I really trust, a person who can take criticism, who can joke, who can, you know, so we were, the, the chemistry was really right at a friendship level. And there was a lot of uh, our skills were complementing each other very well. So it made a lot mm -hmm. of sense for me to start a company with him. So uh, we were at a house party <laughs> about three years ago. I think it was in my place. And, um, and we were both drinking beers and, and uh, I said, dude, I really, I really want to start it. I've always been dreaming of starting a company with you. And he said the same thing and the rest is history. Yeah, wow. And how did how did you both then land on this idea? And how many how many other ideas did you iterate through? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so so uh, Ben's parents are both teachers. Uh, his mom is um, American, lives in France, and teaches English to um, French kids. His dad is Ben's dad is a. Um, a teacher who works with kids with uh, mental disabilities, um, heavy mental dis disabilities, and he helps them get a job, you know, get a career. Um, so Ben has been really growing in this space, and I've been raised by my grandmother, who's also a teacher. So education was really something that that uh, 
we wanted to work on. And, uh, you know, Ben likes to say that, you know, he was appalled when he got his first Apple salary, you know, realizing that his first salary was more than the last salary of both his parents combined. Wow. So we thought it was, you know, and while, you know, as he says, their contribution to society is far greater. I mean, I'm Mm. sure some people would argue that, but, you know, they're building an iPhone versus teaching kids fundamental fundamentals uh, and, and, and educating them. So those are two very different things, two very different contribution to society. Um, so we wanted to work in education and we also knew that to start a, a startup, we needed to find a problem, an urgent problem. Um, so we actually, actually just started speaking with a lot of families in the Bay Area you know, with moms and dads and and kids and teachers and everybody in this space. And there just was this one story that we were hearing over and over again. And I don't know, Brett, how much you're familiar with this, but we heard a lot of parents saying, okay, my kid was diagnosed with something called dyslexia, um, mm-hmm. which means that they basically struggle at reading. They're slow readers, slow writers. It's, yep. it's more. It's obviously more complex than that, but to make it simple, this is what dyslexia is. Um, and you know, my kids have been diagnosed with dyslexia, and I just don't know what to do. And uh, honestly, they're super smart. They're super creative. They're they're super. Um, they have you know all those talents, but the school system is not aligned. Like the education they're receiving at traditional schools is not aligned with their learning profile. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I experienced that more from, you know, diagnosis of ADD, ADHD. Okay. Uh, for yourself? Yeah, for myself. But I, I did not fit very well into into the school box. Ah, interesting. Yeah, and, 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 and that's exactly, that was the same reaction that Ben and I had, okay? Neither Ben nor I are dyslexic, but our reaction was exactly what you just said. You know, we also as kids were not fitting into the the school system and we thought it was very rigid. And maybe in France, you know, school system may be even more rigid than in the United States. Um, you know, it resonated with us, you know, that kind of like one size fits all approach that education has to go with for obvious reasons, because, you know, you have to, they have to be, efficient you can't customize education for every kid at least not if you use tools from 30 years ago um but anyway i'm I'm rambling a little bit here but this this mission resonated a lot with us and we started learning more about dyslexia and we read the research and we saw that actually kids with dyslexia um yes they struggle at reading and writing but they excel in a lot of other areas uh, they become really fantastic architects, entrepreneurs, um, artists, um, and 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 the research shows that actually forty uh, percent of self-made millionaires are dyslexic, for instance, and half hmm. of NASA rocket scientists are dyslexic. So wow. there was so there was obviously a mismatch between between you know the 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 abilities that kids with dyslexia had. And 
what society was perceiving from, you know, what they were capable of. And we thought that it was a really urgent mission and something that would mean a lot to us. So we started on, on that, uh, those tracks. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. I'd never had heard of those numbers, but I believe it. So something, something I'm also seeing here is that, so you started, you started Koala, uh, kind of aiming at special needs and dyslexia in the classroom, but then COVID happened sometime after you started the company. Cause you were talking about this being a two year process yeah. and you know, then everybody started using zoom and people started using zoom for a online teaching by surprise with very little preparation or warning. And I'm curious how that shift has, has impacted the business. Yeah, yeah that's a good question. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. We built a product that was tailored for kids with uh, special needs, dyslexia, ADHD, uh, kids on the autism spectrum. And, but at the same time, we, we knew very well, very well that, you know, if uh, those kids can learn really well in Koala down the road, every kid is going, is going to benefit from this because we're, you know, we're all, it's, a, we're all on, on, on the same neurological spectrum in a way, right? Uh, and kids with dyslexia learn very well with their hands and they are very strong at spatial thinking, they associate concepts with space, etc. Many of our brains of us non-dyslexic also work this way. So long story short, we, we knew that the long-term vision was to build the future of online education with Koa, not just for uh, kids with special needs. And indeed, COVID happened last year and earlier than we had anticipated, we realized, wait, our product is benefiting a lot of kids with special needs, but they could also, it could also benefit any kid. And there's 1.6 billion kids right now forced to learn online remotely on boring tools like Zoom and Teams. Um, let's open it up. Let's give access to Koala to everyone, everybody. Right. So how is it, how has this been received? How have how have you been growing in the yeah in the past year since COVID and just overall? So it, it's been received really well, and we it took us a little bit of time, of course, to make that shift. Um, there's another pivot that we made that I haven't I have not mentioned yet, but early 2020, our um, Koala was still only running on virtual reality headsets. Because, you know, on paper, having a product, you know, where you you put on a VR headset and you enter a classroom environment as an avatar and you see your teacher also here as an avatar and then you can interact with objects using those, those controllers in your hand and move to the whiteboard and touch things. This makes things much more engaging, much more fun. But when COVID hit, we also realized that we were not solving that problem of equitable access to education. We were just building better tools for rich kids. And that's really not what we mm -hmm. wanted to do. So um, we um, it took us some time to make our app uh, run on Windows, Mac, Chromebooks, etc. So because of that, we only launched uh, the non-VR version of Koala last September, in September, September of 2020. And uh, yeah, since that day, uh, it's been growing. We've been growing like crazy. I think we grew 700% in five months. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's impressive. So tell me a little bit more about the learning experience in Koala. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Koala is a sandbox, okay? Koala is a uh, literally a virtual classroom. So you have a whiteboard. You have tools to create sticky notes and put them on the wall. You have a browser. And teachers can basically teach whatever they want in Koala. You know, they, um, it's just like a brand new classroom that a teacher would get uh, on day one on, in September on back to school day. And then the teacher would start decorating it and, and using this as a tool. So um, you have a teacher, uh, you, she or he has uh, his or her room, and then they can invite students. And the students um, arrive in the room and they, sh- they exist as avatars. So teachers have avatars, students have avatars, and they can move around, they can use the space. And, um, and next to the avatar, you have a little video of yourself because, you know, Avatars only uh, mm-hmm. were not not enough. We needed also a, like a way to see the, the actual faces of of uh, students and teachers. So it's like Minecraft. You move around and you have a little camera next to you, and then you move to the whiteboard, or you move to the browser, or you move to um, wherever you want uh, to provide the for the teacher to provide the instructions. Mm-hmm. So as as people are moving around in this three D space, does the audio get louder as they get closer to each other so they could kind of form groups and have yeah. um, subchats? That, that, that's a good point. We we did not implement this feature yet because even though Koala is open to every, um, every type of student, most of our users currently are still in a special needs space and it's still a mm-hmm. lot of small groups. Yeah, one that makes sense. Uh, up to five students maximum, but a lot of one-on-one instructions. You know, a lot of one-on-one tutoring after school, things like this. Um, and therefore, the 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 requirement to make an audio, you know, that like the gain of the audio decreases as as avatars move away from each other, is less necessary than if we, you know, if we had uh, rooms, much bigger rooms with more more people. But today hasn't come to. We don't think it's necessary, but it's definitely something on our mind. Yeah, and I, th- I think it might add a little bit of complexity for special needs that might not know exactly that they're standing a little bit farther away and they're not hearing that well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it would add complexity, but it's also, you know, for small group classes, you actually want to be able to move around everywhere while still hearing uh, the teacher. Yeah. Um, and actually, yeah. I think it's something that you and me... It's probably also the same. I mean, I, I think better when I'm walking around, right? And I have my headphones on and I'm talking with my co-founder, you know, as I'm moving my body and I'm actually super focused on the conversation. And it's often more than just sitting in a chair. Yeah. And it's the same for everybody. It's the same for those kids and those kids just being able to walk around and there's a, kind of like a green field around the classroom in uh, one of our virtual classrooms. And kids just go and walk around and among the trees and among those little rabbits running around and cows and, and dogs. And it does not decrease their, their focus. It actually, they're still very focused in what the teacher is saying. But, you know, so we, so it actually doesn't make sense right now for us to kind of, um, 
build a product where they don't hear the audio as they start moving around and moving away from the teacher. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So tell me, tell me more about the struggles that you've had going through, going through this process of, you know, you decided you wanted to, wanted to found a company with your co-founder. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was what you decided first. Then you go through this, this process of discovering what that might be. And then these 250 plus pitches, um, and only, only finally raising seed money several months ago. Yeah. What, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you made along the way that might have saved you a lot of time? Had you done it differently? I mean, the, I think the, I'm going to make a lot of enemies by saying that, but I think our biggest mistake concretely was to go with virtual reality. Hmm. Um, we we kind of thought we were bullish on VR adoption and we thought, you know, VR was going to ramp up quickly and we could build a consumer product in virtual reality. But when you want to when you want to raise money from VCs, you got to you need exponential growth. And to have exponential growth, you need to have very little friction. Mm-hmm. And when you build a VR product, at least consumer, and, I, and I'm, I'm pretty convinced that there's a lot of amazing enterprise B2B use cases in VR. And this is just my opinion. I'm, I may be completely wrong about what I'm about to say, but building a VR consumer product right now, I don't think is uh, can be very successful and it can be VC fundable. So to answer your question, I think the biggest mistake we, we made was to look at the problem just from an engineering eye you know, on paper, yes, VR is the best tool to do, uh, to build Koala, to host, you know, uh, engaging remote classes, but nobody has a VR headset or is very, very little people having a VR headset. Therefore, we needed mm-hmm. to distribute those VR headsets. So, you know, we had to build a free trial system where we would send VR headsets, uh, buy Oculus Go's, send it to people for free uh, and then they would you know do the first class and then if they like it they would keep the vr headset if they don't like it they need to send it back to us so there was you know like the whole value of starting a software business is that uh, you can make a lot of mistakes and you can move fast etc but there was this hardware dependency that made Mm -hmm. that added a lot of friction and that made things slow and you can't be vc fundable if you're slow yeah, it also sounds like it would be challenging for a classroom environment where everybody in the class has to have the VR. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there were many issues with VR, I mean, uh, for education. One of them was, you know, the limitation also in terms of age, age limitation for VR headsets. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm just really happy <laughs> that I, have to, I don't have to deal with VR anymore today. Maybe, you know, when VR picks up, and I'm hoping it will pick up one day, um, we we will be you know Koala will be the first app uh, supported there you know the first education app yeah you'll be ready yeah we'll be ready uh, when that time when that time comes yeah so so to close out this episode I I really always love to ask people something personal a kind of personal and related to the business like what what is something that occurred in this time growing the business that that you learned about yourself personally and that deeply impacted who you are or vice versa, something that occurred that 
taught you something deep about yourself that impacted the business? Man, there's so many ideas that come to mind right now. Uh, <laughs> I have a few. I have a few that come to mind. Um, Go with the scariest one. <laughs> the scariest one. Okay. I think the when you start a company, having a strong support structure at home is absolutely essential. I have my fiance who's extremely supportive, and and I don't think I could have done it without her. I'm so much stronger, you know, uh, because I have her. So I think this is important. And I know that some people are, you know, um, they found a company that, uh, alone. I think that may be your case, Brett, is it? Do you have a co-founder? Oh, no, I don't have a co-founder. We bootstrapped. So, <clears throat> okay, okay. So I I admire a lot of people who can do this, but having a co-founder and having a, um, you know, a partner uh, who supported me was super, super important. And I realized that, you know, I couldn't have done this without them. Um, I think the, the second thing, the second second takeaway is that you learn so much about what you're good at and what you're not good at when you start a company. And at the beginning, when you start a company, you have to do everything and you realize, oh, wow, okay, I, I really suck at design, for instance. I really, I am really bad. And, and you actually quickly realize that you can learn anything. Hmm. Like, like anything can be learned. And, and it's just about trying hard and it's about surrounding yourself with smart people and asking them and, and being self-aware enough so that you know what you're not good at and work on those. And um, now, you know, we, we have like 10 to 15 people in the team and I'm able to hire people much smarter than me who help me do those things. But yeah, what was the, what was the most difficult thing that you, you wouldn't have thought that you could have learned, but that you had to learn and there was no other choice? Fundraising. Hmm. Yeah, I resonate with that. <laughs> yeah, it was tough for you. That as would well. be very difficult for me. Yeah. Well, I never did do fundraising. You never had to. Having yeah. bootstrapped, so yeah. it's still an edge for me. That yeah. if I were to go start a company that required funding, I'd be like, oh man. <laughs> well, going yeah. out in front of people like Shark Tank style and going through a bunch of slides and getting ripped to shreds. Uh, there's yeah. there's ways that that sounds like a lot of fun and growth and there's ways that that just sounds like I have a lot of resistance to it. Yeah, I mean I've had yeah, I mean fundraising is just <laughs> I mean at some point after after your 100th no, you just kind of become vaccinated to it and mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter anymore, it doesn't get to you. Um but it's painful to get there. I've had I've had one VC I don't remember who he is but I've had one VC yell at me during like a pitch, seriously. Just for how bad the pitch was, or <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah I think he was he was having a bad day and I think my pitch sucked so maybe a combination of both. Um, like a, like a don't waste my time kind of thing. Yeah, exactly something like this oh, wow. something like this. Um, but I mean after some point after the the hundredth no. Like, as you were saying earlier, I did 256 pitches total and maybe 240 of those said said no and 16 invested. Um, after you've done this, after you went through this kind of, of experience of the constant no, you become so much stronger. And that's what I, that's what I really, that's my favorite thing, I think, about starting, founding a startup is that you're constantly at the edge of your comfort zone 
And by constantly living, I've been living at the edge of my comfort zone for two years now. And I stretched my comfort zone so, so wide, so much wider than before. So, you know, you end up feeling mm -hmm. invincible. And now I realize that it's part of like, I have problems every day. It's part of my job to solve problems, but every problem can be solved. Just put one front, one foot in front of the other. And I'm very confident in our ability to solve any problem that comes to comes at us right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great learning. Well, Xavier, thank you so much. And thanks for joining us. And I really appreciate this conversation. Me too, Brett. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And best of luck with Koala. Thank you.